Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 1062 with Justin Alpert. You know, because if someone's opened one or two restaurants, I've designed a couple hundred. So I've seen a lot and I know a lot of things. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This podcast was made possible by Restaurant Systems Pro, and we need to let you know that every second and fourth Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, Fred Langley, will be going live where he'll cover what you need to know about running a profitable restaurant from soup to nuts. This live event will reveal the steps to manage the service and financial goals for your restaurant's productivity. To learn more, head to go.restaurantsystemspro.com dot net slash restaurant unstoppable this episode brought to you by owner.com owner.com is the leading all-in-one platform for restaurant marketing owner.com powers everything from seo optimized websites direct online ordering automated email and text marketing built-in loyalty programs zero commission delivery and branded mobile apps for your restaurant that's integrated right into your pos with owner.com there's no contract no hidden fees and nothing to lose join thousands of restaurant owners using owner.com to grow direct online sales, save thousands in third-party fees, and simplify their online ordering presence all in one. Book a free demo today at owner.com slash unstoppable and see why owner.com is the number one rated restaurant marketing software. This episode made possible by Restaurant Technologies, Inc. RTI's Total Oil Management automates your entire cooking oil process. With Total Oil Management, you get dependable fresh bulk cooking oil delivery, filtration plus oil usage monitoring and reporting, easy oil disposal, use cooking oil pickup and recycling, and say goodbye to messy, dangerous restaurant rendering tanks. Yuck. RTI's end-to-end cooking oil system helps you manage your used cooking oil disposal, storage, collection, and recycling conveniently, safely, and cleanly with no upfront cost. Restaurant Technologies, Inc. is always on, so you don't have to be. To learn more, head to rti-inc.com and let them know Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast sent you their way. Imagine you had an employee who never called out, kept inventory in line, could spit out sales and cost data at a moment's notice, and saved you hours of work. You'd want to hire that person, right? Margin Edge is the boost in efficiency you need and doesn't add to your labor cost. Margin Edge is a complete restaurant management software that allows you to seamlessly manage all aspects of your business from one central location. With Margin Edge, you can track food costs in real time, make inventory faster and less tedious, easily cost out your recipes, and get a daily P&L so you always know where you stand. Visit MarginEdge.com slash Unstoppable to learn more and to get a free monthly restaurant sales report packed with exclusive industry trends, data, and insights. Once more, that's MarginEdge, M-A-R-G-I-N-E-D-G-E.com slash Unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, restaurant architect, 
at 42 Architecture, Justin Alpert. Justin, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Sitting across from you, it's hard not to. Dude, I am psyched to be here. And uh, what is happening right now is what I want the future of Restaurant Unstoppable to be, where I'm out in the world talking to people, finding, connecting the dots. Like success recognizes success. And I really do not want to be the person who decides who to get who to make an example of. So uh, I found you by way of Alan and Danny from Cracked Kitchen. Uh, sorry, Cracked Kitchen and Coffee. Coffee? Or is mm-hmm. it? Yeah, that's right. And then you were on my radar before that just because you're so active in the local Northeast Boston. I've had a lot of your friends on the show. Uh, you, you've been following me. You've been supporting me and what I'm trying to do. And I knew it was just a matter of time before we would officially cross paths and you'd be recommended officially on the show. And you have been And who else have I had on the show that you've worked with? Uh, Rachel Miller, nightshade noodle bar. Yep. Uh, Adam from, um, 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 wild Fox pierogi. Not, uh, yep, yep. So he's very active at Restaurant Stoppable Network mm-hmm. as well. We're super lucky to have Adam be a part of that. And um, today, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of bring back the workshops. So uh, around the pandemic time, I started doing these deep dive workshops, deep dives into the minds of specialists in the restaurant industry. And after the pandemic, we kind of got away from that as I was traveling again. Uh, but we're bringing the network back. I never really went anywhere, but we're bringing it back. Um, I would like to start doing these types of workshops live. But I haven't quite figured out the logistics of how I'm going to pull that off on site in the restaurant. So today, it's just going to be you and I. We're going to be diving deep into the seven things to know before hiring an architect. But before we dive into that, and we better get to understand who you are and how you got to where you are today, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? So it's more of, I guess, a philosophy. And it's kind of actually an evolution from one to another. Um, It started with support the community. The community will support you. Mm. Um, that has always been very important to me. I saw that from my family, and um, and so it's always been important to me. And that's kind of grow to support those that support others, and that drives everything I do. Support those who support others. Get yeah. into what that means to you. Give me an example of what that looks like. I'm going to support you because you're out there. You're helping the restaurant industry, so I'm here to support you. I, I myself can do can help one person, but if I help that one person, they can help multiple other people. And I see restaurants. Is, is an industry that does so much for the community. So me supporting one restaurant, it allows them to support a whole community. If I'm supporting multiple restaurants, then each of those restaurants is supporting a greater community. So I support those that support others. Yeah, man, that, that really resonates with me and what we're trying to do here at Restaurant Unstoppable. The mission is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. And really, it's exactly that is what you're sharing. It's, it's about helping people in the restaurant industry realize that their job is to support everybody around them. And when you figure out that your job is about service to others and to, to make it, to make sure that everyone that is under your roof is being taken care of. And if you're, if you're lifting those people up, they're going to lift up the community and it just comes back around. So we're, we definitely are drinking from the same Kool-Aid, my friend. This is awesome. Great yes. way to get this thing started. So where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Like when, like give us a fast forward version of like how you got to where you are today. Um, so it's kind of two parallel roads, one of restaurants, one in architecture. And so kind of very quickly, I grew up in just outside of Boston in Saugus, Mass, where there's lots of restaurants. And I grew up going to lots of restaurants in my family and more so than most people do. And so with that, we um, 
I, I loved going to restaurants. We loved seeing the more and more we go to restaurants that they got to know us and seeing hospitality and seeing how they treated us. And it's just something that I've always had a passion for restaurants and the, the hospitality of it. Architecture Parallel was the first floor plan I ever drew. I was, I think, 10 years old and I still actually have it. And it was something that I've always wanted to, I've always loved floor plans, always loved layouts and, and designing things. And I've always loved art. And so my career brought me through architecture. I always knew I wanted to be an architect. And in earlier in my career, I did lots of different things from medical office to multifamily residential to lots of other things too. None of it really resonated with me though. Um, although I was always learning, always trying to learn whatever I could. And it wasn't until I started doing restaurants where it kind of pulled my passion of restaurants to my career of architecture. And I was like, I love this. I get to support the restaurant industry by helping them. And I get to create, help them to create their vision of a restaurant. And me, I absolutely love it. And kind of that's what, after over 20 years of my career in architecture, when I started 42 Architecture in 2020, it was a restaurant design firm that we're we all we do is restaurants yeah when you were a kid doing these floor plans like what was the appeal back then i don't remember so the the one that i have from when i was about 10 years old i had a friend who loved who played guitar he was learning to play guitar and i and we sat down and i drew him a recording studio uh and actually i should show it to you um i'll I'll send you a picture (laughs) later because it was two floors and like it had everything in there and I i remember talking about the program what he what his needs were what he wanted and um, I love tennis, so I was like, I'm going to put a tennis court on your roof. And But it's a two-story that I designed when I was 10 years old. <laughs> Bathrooms and everything, a, a break room, like things that I don't even know how I knew to think about. <laughs> so what is your unique ability? Like what is it about you, Justin, that makes you like just cut out for this work? My passion. Passion specifically for the... For the restaurant industry. And architecture combined. Yes. And... I hesitate slightly on that is because, like I said, when I was doing other stuff earlier in my career, I, I, I enjoyed creating things. But again, that didn't have that resonating. It wasn't until I really got into restaurants where I got to sit down with a chef, understand his vision, his life dream to build a restaurant, understand what it was in his mind or her mind or their mind, and understand what they wanted to do. And then, so it wasn't about what I wanted, it was about what they wanted. And I could take that and use my skills, my abilities and everything to create that. Yeah. Well, sorry, are you short? Do you want to keep going? And that just drove me to want to learn everything I could about designing restaurants specifically so I could further help the restaurant industry. I, mean, I feel like a lot of people when they're young, they think they want something and they spend like the majority of their like young life thinking about becoming this thing. And then they start on the journey of actually doing that thing and then they realize that it's, it's nothing like they ever thought it was going to be. Like, I'm, a, I'm guilty of this. I thought sure. I wanted to be a commercial pilot until I realized that it wasn't nearly what I, I thought I was going to have ultimate freedom if I was a commercial pilot. You know, like, <laughs> that's sure. just not the case. It's a very rigid environment. Like, there's lots of rules to flying an airplane. Yeah. Um, was that the truth for you when you were like, I want to design, I want to create? Like, when you got into architecture, was, a lot more, was it what you thought it was going to be? No. When I got into the career of architecture... It was less about design and more about business. And that was something I never liked about rest, about architecture in general. And the more, the further I got into my career rising up 
into being a job captain and project manager associate, the more I saw behind the curtain of how firms run. The, the, and it was something I didn't like. Right. And I, and I worked in many in five different firms in three different states over twenty years, and and there was similarities of stuff that I just didn't like as far as a, the way it runs. What were those things that you didn't like? So I know their businesses were supposed to make money, but to me it was it was too much about money. Um, I went on a job interview um, a, couple, a few years ago before I started my, my career before I started my firm, and they were interviewing me to be the um, head of their restaurant department of of their firm. And the owner told me before I took this job, they offered me the job. He said before I take the job because I want you to know there's only certain clients we'll take on. And I said, well, what if you have like someone who's James Beard nominated and has a small little place and they're really good, but they don't have a lot of money and they just want to do something simple. They're like, well, we're not going to do that. That's, that doesn't work for us. It's not profitable. I said, I understand that, but they still need an architect. And to me, I just didn't like that. It it was just like any other business. Mm. So what did you want to do differently? When I started my company, I said, I looked at everything that, I saw of all the firms I've worked at from the 12-person firms to 650-person firms and saw all the similarities and structures and other things. And then I looked at restaurants, and I looked at how restaurants operate. I looked at the culture within restaurants. I looked at how restaurants work on very small profit versus you know big firms. Meanwhile, the restaurants are the first ones to be sending food to hospitals and stuff during COVID, right? They don't have the money. Architecture firms weren't doing stuff like that. Other, They might be. You know, and a lot of firms where architecture firms do stuff like Habitat for Humanity or other kind of local things, which is wonderful, but usually it always seemed like it was something that was more of like for a tax write-off, not because that was their passion. With the restaurant, the passion for the community is there. Mm. You know, they'll give anything for the community. And so when I start off with 42 Architecture, it was I'm starting from scratch and I'm doing this as if I'm looking at how restaurants operate. And to me, that's how I want to run my firm. 42 architecture. Is that the longitude of Boston? <laughs> no, it's not. Like, how'd you come up with that, that, that title, 42 architecture? Um, 42, the, the, the quick answer is it was my high school football number. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's been, my, it's been a nickname of mine ever since. And um, it's, it has a lot of personal meaning to me. Okay. Um, so, what was, so when did you break off and do your own thing? 2020. 2020. And what were the biggest challenges of breaking off doing your own thing? Was it when, when 2020? Was it February? So, no. Mar- so, so beginning, beginning of um, COVID, uh, a lot of people got furloughed. Um, and then... Is that around the first time we started talking to each other, 2020? Probably around there. Okay. Potentially. Somewhere. It was, it's been at least that many years. Got it. Um, and it was... was I think that was four years ago. Well, that's how you oh. judge everything. Was because you're like, was that pre-COVID? Or yeah, <laughs> you're like, wow, pre-COVID. Wow, you've been open that long, huh? Well, Jesus Christ is going to be taking a backseat pretty soon. <laughs> what was the, <laughs> what was your question? <laughs> Sorry. Um, so squirrel. <laughs> so like, what was like when you started in 2020? Like, what yeah. was what was the the biggest challenges? Um, running a business. It was. I, I, I know architecture. I've been doing it for over 20 years. I know how to design drawings. I've been a product manager. I know how to handle clients. I know how to do invoices and, and contracts and everything else. I learned bookkeeping pretty quickly. Um, I learned a lot of legal stuff very quickly. I learned a lot of um, 
insurance stuff. There was a lot of other kind of management stuff, even though I'm the only person that I had a lot of, I had to spend time in the business, but creating the business and on the business. And I still do the marketing and everything else. It's all me. So it's uh, there was a lot at the very beginning that was a lot of big learning curves. Right. I mean, it's the, that's the e-myth, right? Like, you know, like, I feel like it's, like restaurant tours get sucked into this too. They they think that they can always do it better than the other person. They don't think about all the other variables that come with running a business, like the yeah. accounting, like the marketing, like all these different things that you have to worry about. So, um, <clears throat> what was the one thing you wanted to be different about? Like when when you started your firm, how is your firm going to be different? Um, f- focusing on restaurant is something that. Not a lot of firms do. Most firms diversify, which for the most part makes sense. Um, so that's, but there are firms that do restaurants. I think it's for me, it's, it's the approach. Um, all my clients become my friends. Like they're, it, 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 and that's another thing that I never saw in, um, in, the, in the architecture industry where you do a project, you get paid for it, you move on. And to me, it, it, it really is about the community and being part of the community and supporting the community. And so that's why I keep coming back to that because everything we do is about that. Yeah. And so there's a lot of chefs that I'm, I'm supporting and doing stuff for. And it's not because I'm, I know I'm never going to work with them. They have their architects. But that's not why I support, why I support them. You know, again, I'm supporting them because they're supporting others. And so I'm just here to help out however I can. Yeah. So... I mean, my mind is going in so many different directions as far as like what we could talk about. I can but, uh, see that. Yeah, right? So, I mean, I just, I feel like what, what you, what's unique to you is that you have a lot of the same values that a lot of chefs have. Uh, where they, for them, it's about the thing that they do. It's about the why, and not necessarily about how are we going to make this profitable. Um, and I'm curious, like, has that been a challenge for you? Like, now that you are your own owner in, the, in that, you know, where you would, you'd go to these mentors of yours in the past and be like, let's, let's, Let's focus on these people who need our help. Is it hard for you to, to do the work you're doing and be profitable as an architect? No. Um, why, is, what, so why, is that, why is it working for you if there's no money in what you're doing, I guess is what I'm curious about. So, I, well, I'm, when I started my company, I, I started by paying myself the same thing I was getting, getting paid in my last job. This, I have a wife, I have a son, I have a house, I have you know other stuff. So I knew that I had to, make at least that amount of money. So I set myself up to be paid that same amount of money. Anything else was company pr- profit that went aside, taxes and other stuff. Um, so you took owner's pay. You made sure that you're covering your liabilities. Absolutely. Um, and a lot of people asked me, told me that, you know, starting a company that revolves around restaurants during COVID doesn't make sense. You know, there's no money in it. You know, how could I survive? Oddly enough, I was super busy right off the beginning. There were a lot of people who were either had to renovate their restaurants, people who had to all of a sudden figure out how they're going to do takeout and like move things around. There are people who now no longer work for a restaurant and they're going to go start off their own restaurant and there's plenty of empty spaces that right. are restaurant ready. So there's actually a lot of work for me there. And so fortunately, I've been able to be busy, um, more busy than I want to be and be able to make in, make as much as I was making before. Yeah. Although it is capped because I've, I'm, I'm at the point where I can't make any more money because it's only me for the most part. And so 
there's only so many billable hours in a year. Right. And so there's only so much work. And I'm kind of capped at that point right now. Got it. Got it. So when I re- or we started talking, right, your name came up. I think I, I can't remember if it was actually during the recording or we were talking afterwards. He was showing me around and you mentioned your name and, and name of your business. That rings a bell. I've definitely heard about this. We reconnected. Uh, I love what you did with uh, the uh, Cracked Kitchen, by the way. The, where did you find those egg lamp, like those eggs? We had them made. Did you really? Oh, yeah. those are cool. So a very quick story on those because that is very unique and it became a huge part of the brand. A little more context. Uh, yes. In Cracked Kitchen, they have these lamp shades that are like a cracked egg and those are the coolest things and uh anyway the whole design was really cool but pick it up from there so when we first met with danny and alan we talked all about kind of the brand and understanding it and and so as we're designing it we're looking for things that kind of work with that brand and so we we were looking around for light fixtures and we found one that was wasn't egg shape what it but it was kind of like a half oval with like a wavy edge on the bottom and, but you can pick the colors on the inside and outside. So I talked to the manufacturer and I, I, t- I talked to our lighting rep and I said, can we do that with a uh, matte white outside with a glossy yellow inside? He's like, sure, why? I said, because it's going to look like an egg. And then he's like, let me talk to them. He came back and he said, I got one better for you. They said that if you want, instead of having that curvy edge on the bottom, they can do it as jagged. Nice. And so that jagged edge with that white outside, the yellow inside, and now it's an iconic egg for them. Well, it just goes to show, like, just, like, you can accomplish so much more if you hire a specialist who knows who to talk to, who knows what to ask for. Like, Alan and Danny would have never been able to, to pull that off on their own, right? And I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is stay in your lane. What, are you, what is your unique ability as a restaurant owner? Narrow it down to the 20% of things that nobody can do better than you. You focus on those 20%. And, let, and surround yourself with other people to focus on the other 80% of things that have to get done. Um, most of us aren't architects. <laughs> Find somebody to, to, that, that has the relationships to be able to pull things like this off. So today, we're going to talk about uh, the seven things to know before hiring a restaurant, a restaurant architect. So before we dive into this list of seven things, like how did you develop this list? Like wh- Where was your mind going? Like What is this list? Like, paraphrase what this list is to us. So basically, it's for me... With every client I have or anyone I talk to, there's always um, they most of them have never designed their own restaurant before. They've never opened a restaurant for the most part, um, and so there's a lot of things that I educate clients or prospective clients. The first time I meet them, we'll sit down. I'll take time, and I'll I'll explain so much to them, and they always tell me that it's super valuable for them and helpful. And so it's something that I kind of try to get that message out about those type of things, you know, because if someone's opened one or two restaurants, I've designed a couple hundred. So I've seen a lot and I know a lot of things. And so I think that's where. So when this list is basically like a summary of what the first conversation with a client might look like. Yeah. All things you should understand about, about an architect and hiring an architect when you first go, go into it. Um, I've heard people say that, um, not everyone can afford an architect to design their house, which the average person can't. Well, to be able to afford a restaurant, it's not cheap to hire an architect as well. And so you got to make sure that you know that you understand what you're getting from in. day one. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at the same time, before we dive into the list, yeah. like what, why, why should we work with an architect even if we don't think we can afford it? Why should we? Why should we budget for it? Like, what are we protecting ourselves from that we're not aware of? Like, what do, what don't we know? First of all, you're legally ob- obligated to in some ways. 
Um, we are licensed. For, actually, we're kind of diving. We're getting, okay, okay. <laughs> we're we're going we're gonna to take a quick break to thank yeah. our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to dive into the first item on our list of seven things that you need to know before hiring a restaurant architect. This podcast is made possible by Restaurant Systems Pro, and we need to let you know that every second and fourth Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, Fred Langley, will be going live where he'll cover what you need to know about running a profitable restaurant from soup to nuts. This live event will reveal the steps to manage the service and financial goals for your restaurant's productivity. Everyone who attends this live event will get a recording of the Restaurant Systems Pro four-day how-to-run-a-profitable-restaurant-from-soup-to-nuts recording. This event costs $2,500 to attend live, and you'll get it for free. Head to go.restaurantsystemspro.net slash restaurantunstoppable. That's go.restaurantsystemspro.net slash restaurantunstoppable. This episode made possible by Owner.com. Owner.com is the quickest and easiest way for your customers to order directly from you without the expensive 30% commission fees. With Owner.com, you'll save thousands every month when customers order through your website and branded app instead of third-party delivery apps and reward your customers with a built-in loyalty program that turns them into regulars who order again and again. Owner.com also helps you rank higher on Google with world-class search engine optimization built specifically for restaurants with an AI-powered website. We cannot forget lists. Build a huge list of people who live near your restaurant fast and market to that list on autopilot with text and email sent at the perfect time to help you grow sales and stay top of mind. Owner.com gives you everything you need to grow and market your restaurant online with no contracts or hidden fees. Visit Owner.com slash unstoppable right now to book your free demo and see why thousands of restaurant owners trust owner.com to power their restaurants online. We're back and we are diving into our list of seven things to know before hiring a restaurant architect. The first thing on our list is what is an architect? You should know what an architect is before hiring one, I suppose. So what is an architect? So it's so most people don't actually understand fully what an architect is. And I had a, prof- a professional practice teacher in college who said that people think architects are magicians because we don't, they don't really know what, they, what we do, but we create drawings and then buildings get built from them. Um, Isn't that it? <laughs> so I have a lot of people that come to me that say, hey, can you draw me up a plan? How much does it cost to draw a plan? And... And that goes to show that people don't understand the full spectrum of what an architect is. But the most important thing is, is that we're a, we're a professional, and I, we're all professionals. But we're a professional in in the re, similar to a doctor or a lawyer, in the way that we've gone through many years of schooling, we've gone through required internships, we've gone through taking many exams, um, to the and then we so that we are licensed by the state with a stamp to say that we understand buildings to the point that we can draw them stamp the set of drawings and have a contractor build them which then puts the liability of safety on on us so ultimately what an architect does is we is is health safety welfare of the public 
So this way, if a building falls down, we've designed it so that people can get out safe. That is the most important thing about what an architect is. Where does the line, if I'm if I'm getting ahead, feel free just to stop me. Sure. Where does the line between like safety and cosmetically appealing drawn? Like like is the architect that's a, really responsible for the, the 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 appeal, the visual appeal, or is that more on the design, interior design? Like where where are those lines drawn? So lines are blurry, and it depends because people do different people do different things. There are people who are pure interior designers who may just select materials and colors and that's all they do there might be people who are architects who design structures that don't get into materials finishes colors that sort of stuff but then there's a lot of people who kind of do both or overlap and i think that's where with me that with restaurants i don't do a lot of ground up restaurants it's almost all interior design that's what we do but i can draw a wall section through a built multi-story building and understand this the structure and however how it all works yeah a lot of when you're moving into an old space like there's a lot of walls that seem to disappear in restaurants people want like open spaces right like or yeah i think i see a lot of open spaces in that spaces now in my travels um i mean i think it depends on what you're trying to go for but like there's you have to manipulate the space physically Mm -hmm. sometimes and that's where having an architect who does have the the talent of design comes into handy because like you can't just blow out walls yeah, and so there's some products that I come in where I'm just the architect and the client may have their own interior designer and we coordinate work together. Uh, there's products where I've been brought in just for interior design just to help them with finishes and, and stuff. And so there's a lot of different scope of services that architects, interior designers, or other design professionals can take on. So it all depends on what that, what they personally or that company can do. Okay. So what is still the message when you're answering this question? Like, what is an architect? Again, one more time. If we want an architect, what do we want them for? Safety? We want them to be able to create a space for us that is going to be, that's going to protect the customers within the space. So this way, if anything happens in the building, we, the architect designed the space to make sure that Life safety, egress, everything is accounted for. Okay. I feel like I'm getting ahead of us, too. I'm looking down at these questions. Yeah. I'm like, I just want to ask questions, but you have them all listed out. So yeah. is it safe to say we should go to the second question? Let's do it. What does an architect do? So as we just discussed, life safety, we look at um, and finishes materials and all the stuff that we already talked about. Um, but architect does a lot. We, we From the beginning of a project, we can work with and actually – we can work with the client to understand looking at spaces, understanding and evaluating spaces. That's something I do with a lot of my clients where when they find that space that they think is the right one, they have me go look at it. To them, it might be perfect. I'm going to look at the air conditioning, the electrical, the plumbing, if there's grease waste, where there's the hood, uh, where that can go through, if they're going to need pollution control unit, where the trash is in, in regards to the space, if they're, the accessibility, the egress, all kinds of things. So we're going to look through and we're going to understand and help them evaluate if that's the right space. Do you ever have people approach you asking to hire you and you're like, you don't need my services? What yes. you're asking for isn't what I do? Yeah, there's there are people. I get a lot of kind of cold calls just from my Google listing of people asking me to do residential stuff, which I won't do. Um, but, and, and there's plenty of other architects I know that do residential and, I, and I'm very happy to share their names. Um, and there's also restaurants where there might be restaurants that are asking me that, that call, reach out to me, ask me questions, but I know it's not the right fit for me or I'm not the right fit for them. And I'll let them know that, that 
Sometimes if they're just doing something very basic that they don't need to hire a restaurant architect. Like, Give me an example of something best, basic where you wouldn't need to hire an architect that people often do. Um, well, I guess kind of inversely, you have to hire an architect when you're constructing, when you're building walls, when you're changing a means of egress, when you're doing major things. What is a means of egress? Uh, so the path... So large part of what architecture is, is understanding the path of egress, if case of emergency, get able to get out oh, of the okay, building. So, so that's a large part. So if you're changing where hallways are in a building or something, then this is something that requires now the building department to make, to requires the building department to ask for a licensed architect to stamp drawings. Got it. Got it. Um, so basically anything that's associated with the safety of people. Correct. Got it. Um, Anything else we need to unpackage in terms of what does an architect do? So, like I said, we can do we do the early on stuff, looking at it. We do the design, and with design, everyone understands pick and finishes and light fixtures that stuff. But it's the laying out the space, which is I find very crucial in restaurants, and that's something that people who are not restaurant architects architects they don't necessarily understand the flow front of house and back of house. Okay, so get into that a little bit. What what is sure. uncommon? as far as what people don't understand or what is common and what people don't understand. So so if we jump back a few years, there are a lot of full service fine dining restaurants who realized that that kind of was diminishing a little bit and they all kind of went off and did a fast casual concept. You know, obviously Danny Meyer did it and everyone else has now too. And they were hiring, a lot of these companies were hiring that same architect that did the the full service what they didn't realize was instead of having a host, a station, you get seated and all that, you have a queue line. Right. Right? You have an order station. Well, that counter has to be at 2 foot 10 maximum height for ADA purposes. Right? And so there's a flow. There's a function. And it's also kind of you got people coming in, going down the line, coming out, but going to the bathroom, going to fill up drinks, um, going to the condiment station. All these things you don't have in full service restaurants. So it's different. And so kind of understanding... The, the flow of any kind of restaurant th- that someone's looking to have designed is, is very crucial. Yeah, we. I, I want to point direction to an episode I did with Stephanie Robson of the University of um, oh, uh, Cornell. Um, and she taught restaurant design. Uh, and she was. we focused on the uh, kitchen design. I would love to have her come back to do a conversation on, the, on what you're talking about, a deep dive into that conversation as far as flow. But just even little things as far as like when you – when you have food dropped off, like, like thinking about like the food should ha- move in the direction and in, in that one direction one time. So like yeah. your, your your like your freezer should be next to the loading dock, and like your office should be right next to that door too. So everything is just moving in one direction, and it just goes from the back door to the front door in one fell swoop. Yeah, and I'll do flow diagrams front of house and back house where I draw the floor plan. I'll put arrows yeah. to show from both sides, how the people come in, how they go and, and through the space, but then also front of house and back of house staff, kind of where the food flows, where other things flow so they can see that we're doing the most efficient um, layout. I'm, I'm looking at these questions as you're talking. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm asking some of these questions un, un, unintentionally as we're going, but okay. I'm, we'll I can re- expand on them. Yeah. We'll resurface as we go. So before I do that again, I'm just going to ask the next question. Uh, okay. So we talked about what is an architect? What does exactly does an architect do, uh, but architects are not cheap is the next yeah. bullet point you have on here. So in terms of budget, what should we be thinking about in terms of budget? So I think 
budget aside, I think what people need to realize is with architects, so similar to a lawyer, similar to an accountant, you know, those are, those are people that we're used to paying a lot of money for and usually paying them hourly. And I don't think people necessarily think of architects as that kind of same pay grade. Um, and I've had a lot of people call me up and say, hey, can you come look at a space with me? And I do, and I spend time with them, and they're like, oh, well, can you draw something up? And so now I'm spending more and more time. We haven't written a contract yet. Right. And they're like, oh, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll buy you dinner. And it's like, well, dinner isn't paying my rent. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that's something that people need to realize, that architects are a big part of, of creating a new restaurant, and that you, know, that you need to budget for that accordingly and understand it. And so I'll explain that with architects, or at least the way that I was trained, and, but I saw in multiple restaurants, of restaurants, multiple architecture firms, is that everyone has billable rates. So from the drafters up to the owners, everyone has their billable rates. So let's say a billable rate of $150. So if I'm looking at a, set, if I'm looking at a new project, someone comes to me and says, how much is this going to cost me? And usually people will think I can just pull a number out of nowhere and be like, oh, ballpark, how much does it cost? And I'll be like, well, I need to see your existing – I need to see the building. I need to see the utilities in the building. I need to see your – if you have a LOI, a letter of intent or a lease or anything that tells me what the landlord's providing, what you need to provide because there's so many variables. But what I do is I will – once I understand all that, so I'll request all this information, I will write a list, a very detailed list for myself of – all my scope of services from going to a space two hours, drawing up the existing additions four hours, like all these different things under every kind of um, phase of architecture. And then I'll take those numbers, multiply by billable rate, get final numbers. That's the architectural number. But we also are the ones that hire uh, other consultants too, which we'll get into. Um, and so our fee also takes into account theirs. And so it's this is the total. So you're kind of price. a contractor too, in a sense, general contractor. Um, where you're you're paying out these people, these experts, um, but you're you're just asking for the resources to then pay it forward to the people you hire out. Yeah. So very similarly, so a, um, a, a restaurateur or whoever is going to design is going to have a restaurant built or anything built. They'd hire an architect and a, and a general contractor. General contractor has all their subcontractors, electricians, plumbers, framers. Because the general contractor is the one who's actually doing that work. They're doing some of it, but they're overseeing it. They're managing, managing. it. Architect, we're doing the architecture. We're doing the design. But then we're yeah. hiring other consultants, too, that fall under our umbrella as well. So give me some examples of those people that fall under your umbrella. Um, mechanical, electrical, plumbing engineers, structural engineers, sometimes um, surveyors and civil engineers. Uh, I have one project that I have uh, acoustical consultants on which is the first time I've ever had to hire acoustical consultants, but it's a uh, jazz cafe. Oh, cool. Was this in Portsmouth by any chance? No. Oh, did you hear about that? Jimmy's in Portsmouth? Yeah. It's awesome. If uh, you ever- I've, I've heard. We've, we've, our, our team that's doing this jazz cafe um, in, in Roxbury, we've, we've talked about going up there for a... If you um, make your way up there, let me know. I will join you. Anyway, I digress. So, in the next two weeks. Yeah, right. That's right. I'm going to be taking off pretty soon. Sure. Uh, but I'll be back in the summer. Um, so you're going through the list of the different people who are your subcontractors. Yeah. So continue along that vein, unless you tapped everybody up. Um, th- that's the main group of them. What about lighting and actual like interior design? Is that you or is that somebody else? Does that fall under your list of priorities or is that general contractor or do they, should you hire separately a designer? Uh, so it all depends on 
the architect themselves, so like I said, with my work, it's mostly all interior design. And so we do all of our own interior design. Um, there are firm, and there's a lot of bigger firms or many firms who have separate architects and interior designers in-house and they kind of collaborate. But there's also a lot of times where, uh, and I think there's two or three projects right now where I have a client who already had an interior designer, um, but they can't, they, they can't sign and stamp drawings, but they also don't know any of the um, kind of building code type of stuff. And so and then I got brought in at a later point, so I coordinate with them. Got it. Um, so in terms of like how to budget, right? Yeah. They aren't cheap. That's what we're talking about. Architects are not cheap is what we're on right now. Um, yeah. Is there a rule of thumb as far as like a percentage you should allocate if you think that it's going to cost like, like, like how much of the total budget should go towards an architect in your opinion? Um, so again, it, it's really hard to do that because there's some of the variables. So if we have two identical spaces, one has a grease trap and a hood and a duct shaft already set black iron for duct for a hood. Another one doesn't then even though they're identical, the scope of work for the one that doesn't have those for the engineers, the plumbing engineers, mechanical engineers, electrical to design that amount of work and for the architects to make sure we have the floor slabs and the fire rated shafts and everything around it, 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 it changes the price so much because we're adding scope of service. So it really boils down to scope of service. And so a lot of times I'll tell people that if they say I'm over budget, um, which is relative, I guess, but if they say that it's that we're over budget, I said, well, we can, I can look to see where we can reduce some of the scope. Right. And I think this is where, where like an architect or a general contractor or somebody who knows what they're doing is worth their weight in gold. Because like, if you are over budget, and then you have somebody who has all this experience where they can start helping you be more conservative while still making an impact. So for a quick example, let me just say if I said a project was going to take 120 hours, and if I used a billable rate of $150 an hour, so that's $18,000. So, and a lot of times the architectural fee and the engineering fee are pretty similar. So then that might be $36,000 for that fee, which um, architecture and engineering f- prices could be anywhere from 20000 to 100000 or if you're looking at like multi-million dollar, you know, large restaurants, certainly a lot more than that. And then the more custom and high-end the restaurant is, the more and more detailed the design is, the more hours the architect's going to take, so the more hours they're going to count in their scope of service and yeah. multiply accordingly. Have you ever heard of this company called Restaurant Technologies, Inc.? I think I've heard of them. Do you know what they are? No. It, it's um, they do all things like basically oil management from delivering the oil oh, to taking yeah. the oil. Uh, also, they do hood systems where they do all the preventative cleaning. Do you start? Do you deal with things like that too? In terms of so we don't get into maintenance stuff. Okay. So it's a lot of stuff that once the keys are turned over, once we have family and friends, then we're not really as involved at that point. Then if it's like follow up, if there's warranty stuff they need to call the general contractor back to fix you know the general contractor is usually on for like another year for warranties and stuff um but we don't get involved with kind of maintenance down the line type of stuff unless it's something that's built into the structure or the systems or the equipment itself uh then potentially so if you're going into a space like the space we're sitting today we're at the farmer's daughter in sudbury massachusetts Mm -hmm. this space i'm assuming when it was just a shell did not have a hood system put in Correct. So that was on you to find the hood, 
or to find the people to install the hood and to make sure it's done safely. So with anything in the space, whether it's a hood, whether it's a light fixture, whether it's the cloth on the banquette, it all falls under my team to design it. So if it's us, uh, our interior designers, our engineers that are doing that work, then we're designing it. So we're creating a set of drawings, the blueprints, that say this is what needs to go in here, and it's a general contractor who's going to take those blueprints, going to see what we specified, and then they're going to build it per our specifications. Yeah. In terms of hood systems, because I know yeah. this can be a nightmare, yeah. and it's, a, it's, it's just an area that not a lot of people know a ton about either. Mm-hmm. Any little tricks of the trade, or recommendations, uh, hoods to stay away from, systems that have really impre- impressed you as far as like a good system or something that just isn't as, I don't know, like just put a recommendation out there or a little nugget out there relative to hood systems. So hood systems in general... Um, Captive Air, who is the big name brand, and apparently, I guess they're one, they're more expensive, but they've been doing it the longest and they do it really well. So, as far as just the hood itself, you know, I, I think there's a lot of kind of similar ones out there. Um, but I think what people don't realize is after the hood, then where does the where does the exhaust air go? Where does it exit? The and that's where it can cost a huge amount of money. Yeah, just- we, we've had I've had one project where. It was a ground floor restaurant that ha- it was only ten foot ceiling, and it was five floor, brand new space. But there was five floors of residents above them, and they were already filled. And so they already signed the lease for the restaurant. And they're like, "We're going to put a hood in." I'm like, "Where's the hood going to go?" And we couldn't go up through the space because the building didn't account for it, and it was too low of a space to put a pollution control unit in. What's a pollution control unit? Um, so some people call them a scrubber. Some people call them, um, I guess scrubbers what a lot of people call them. So when the air, so that when the, the, the air that gets vented into a hood is grease, is grease laden. So the pollution control unit, um, instead of taking that hood, that greasy air and spinning it right out, if you, if you don't have a means to go vertical and you have to go outside, then your hood, go, your hood air goes straight out. But if you've got a burger place or something, you've got this greasy air, you can't spin it out side yeah so pollution control unit basically is a scrubber what it does is just a series of um redirecting the the airflow so it the momentum makes it come out it's a series of filters charcoal heavy duty charcoal filters and it's got a whole um plumbing system built into it to 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 clean it as well super expensive a lot to maintain um but when you're in a city you can't go up through a building so you have to go out to the sidewalk and so when you look at, if you go into any major city and you look at the big buildings on the ground floor, above the first level of that ground floor, you'll all see louver, a louver band. So you'll see louvers all around. And that's greased waste coming out that's been filtered, or it's bathroom exhaust coming out, or sometimes it's fresh air going in that has to be separate from where that grease air is. Got it, got it. I just recently interviewed somebody, uh, Greg Kahn, actually, from Gregorio's down in uh, the D.C. area. And they're building one of their new locations on the first floor. A similar situation. I think it's office buildings above them. And they had to go through the parking garage down out the parking garage for their hood. So it could be really interesting. Well, and then that now becomes extremely expensive because air flows up, not horizontal. Or down. Or down. <laughs> in theory, and by code, it's supposed to slope one-eighth of an inch up so that any grease that cut, that's in the duct slopes back and gets caught into the hood in the little drip tray. Right. And so, because if you're going down, you're going to be dripping all that down. Or if it's horizontal, it's not going anywhere. Interesting. Um, I think now is a good time to take a break to thank our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to unpackage uh, when is an architect 
required. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Technologies, Inc. RTI's Total Oil Management automates your entire cooking oil process. With Total Oil Management, you get dependable, fresh bulk cooking oil delivery, filtration plus oil usage monitoring and reporting, easy oil disposal, used cooking oil pickup and recycling, and say goodbye to those messy, dangerous restaurant rendering tanks. Yuck. RTI's end-to-end cooking oil system helps you manage your used cooking oil disposal, storage, collection, and recycling conveniently, safely, and cleanly with no upfront cost. RTI's services are not limited to oil. They also provide insurance premiums and automated hood cleaning solutions plus hood filtration systems, making your hood cleaning process easy, automatic, and worry-free. In addition to all this, Restaurant Technologies, Inc. can help you reduce your carbon footprint, which we all know is becoming increasingly more important to the consumer. Restaurant Technologies, Inc. is always on so you don't have to be. To learn more, head to rti-inc.com and let them know Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast sent you their way. Picture this. It's the end of the month and you're working your way through a shoebox full of invoices and manually entering costs into a janky spreadsheet that is being held together by bubblegum and prayers. And after hours of eye-stabbing tedium, you realize that your numbers don't even match. Oh my God. We've all been there. But it doesn't have to be this hard. Margin Edge can free you from spreadsheet hell. That's because Margin Edge is a complete restaurant management software that automates invoice processing and shows you your food costs and labor in real time. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge takes it from there. Margin Edge will process your invoices automatically with line item detail and combine that information with sales from your POS to give you real time reporting, including a daily P. up-to-date plate costs, and updated inventory count sheets. Stop spending hours to get numbers you're not 100% confident in when you could spend minutes and have accurate, real-time food and labor costs. Visit MarginEdge.com slash Unstoppable to learn more and to get a free monthly restaurant sales report packed with exclusive industry trends, data, and insight. We're back, and I think we might have already covered this and if i already asked the question i apologize but when is an architect required so yeah so we touched on this a little bit we talked about kind of life safety of a space um so obviously if you're just doing finishes if you're just moving some furniture around um if you're just putting replacing some light fixtures painting walls whatever it might be um you don't need an architect um it's when you have to get a building permit um when the city requires you to have a building permit is when you need to have to get that building permit, you need to have a signed stamp drawings from architect or engineers. So if we're, I mentioned this, I think previously, that if we're moving around, um, if we're building up walls, if we're moving the path of egress for life safety of how people get out of there, but also if we're doing anything with kind of engineering systems, if we're adding a kitchen in a space that never had a kitchen and now we have all this new plumbing going on, the building department's going to want to make sure that anything that's plumbing, um, HVAC, electrical, that all that is done per code too. Because so there's building codes for everything, and they're all in there for life safety reasons for the most part. Um, and so it's us as as educated and knowledgeable, skilled professionals who have been trained with this stuff. It's our job to make sure that everything that a contractor is going to build is per code, and the building department is going to want to make sure. So. Anytime that you affect any of these different systems is when you're going to require, be required to hire an architect. Is this, are these steps in terms of like, you know, when to bring in who? 
uh, is that specific to certain cities? Because like like for example, like a building inspector, mm-hmm. like do, do you need to have an architect come in before the building inspector comes in, or can the building inspector do what the architect does? So a building inspector is someone who works for the city right. to make sure that the contractor is building it per the architect's drawings okay. that have been designed per building codes. Got it. So in Massachusetts and some other places, we are required when an architect when an architect does a set of drawings to get it issued for building permit, we have to stamp them. But we also have to fill in an initial affidavit. The affidavit says that to the best of our knowledge, this set of drawing has been designed to and, and, and complies to all building codes. So essentially, if a contractor builds it per the codes, per our drawings, they're building it per code. Yeah. And then at the end, so then the inspector does their walkthroughs just to check to make sure that they're doing everything the contractor is supposed to. Right. And then at the end, we have to do a final affidavit that says, based on our observations and from what we see, that um, it appears that the contractor followed the drawings that were designed per code, and thus the construction is is per code. Right. And like sometimes, and I don't know if, the, again, if this is city by city, but if you're not working with an architect and you spend all this money to do something a certain way and maybe the, the, the building designer, I don't know, the general contractor might not know a specific code mm-hmm. and then you spend all this money to, to do the work and then the building inspector comes in and they go, this isn't to code. Like that's when I feel like spending the, a little extra money to have an architect. I mean, if you had an architect and they were to sign off on something, would that be on the restaurant owner or would that be on the architect to make right? Like who's on the hook for that? If an architect signs off on something? Yeah. Then ultimately we're liable for anything that's related to building code and design. So if you can't afford to do it right the first time, what makes you think you can do it a second time? Or is it however that saying goes, right? Yeah. That's why you have to do it right the first time because ultimately – if you try to do something and you're skipping or you're, you're trying to jump over codes and not do things. And sometimes it's not, it's not intentional. Right. Well, and, and that's again, why I'm here talking to you to help educate right. you know, your community, but it's also what I educate my own clients on or anyone that ever want asks me or wants to listen is trying to get them to understand, you know, the process of architecture, you know, what they need to know, what they need to understand and, and making sure they understand what code is like, accessibility is one of the biggest ones us as an architect um, and I think one of the biggest misunderstandings is is accessibility and I say that because you, you're required to have so many ADA compliant bathrooms yeah certain space between wall and counter and like you know exactly yeah that and, and I'll have potential clients or clients say can we get by without that or they may say the building inspector said we don't need it so what happens, what people don't realize is ADA, it is adopted in most states as part of a building code, but it's actually a disability law. So above anything, it's a disability law. So a building inspector can say, oh, don't worry about that. That's fine. But ultimately, whoever signed off on the drawings is the, is one of the, and the owner are the one who's going to get in trouble that five years later, someone in a wheelchair rolls in, can't get to a bathroom because the, the hallway is too small. Right. Now, it's on the architect who signed the drawings, or if someone just went ahead and built it without an architect, then it's, it's on the contractor and the owner as well, but even more so. So a big part of the reason why you should justify hiring an architect is because they're taking on a lot of the liability. We take on a lot of liability, yeah. Yeah, that's huge. As does a doctor or a lawyer. 
You know, there's reason why it's not an easy process for a state to grant you the ability to do that. It's the same thing for architects. It's a, it's a long process. When this is the, the, the next bullet point we have on our list. Number five, when is the right time to get an architect involved? So I always say it's, it's never too early. Um, I've had people say that they're looking at something down the road, but it's too early. They'll talk to me later. I mean, for you, it's the same amount of billable hours, right? Whether you're coming in late in the project or early in the project. Not necessarily. No. Uh, okay. It depends on, again, it's all about my scope of services. There, there are times where people have already signed a lease. There may be times where someone's already has a, a basic drawing or something done by someone else, and they just need me to kind of further it along. So I don't need to do some of that initial kind of design stuff. Um, but if you're looking at a brand new space or any, or any space you're looking at, um, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, where having an architect be able to look at it and because we understand what's required for mechanical, electrical, plumbing, fire alarm, fire sprinklers, ADA, and egress. We understand those things. Um, we also, as an as a restaurant architect, I also understand things that are necessary or needed, required for restaurants. And so that's where any of my clients, I tell them, you know, go look at a bunch of places. When you find that one that you think is right, let me know. Yeah, and usually for like a first meeting with any client, um, I kind of write it off as like a marketing thing. So I'm not charging billable hours to meet with someone, and so I tell them take advantage of my time. You know, I'm here with you now. Right. So any questions you have, anything I can do, you know, we'll do. And then from here on, it's I'm going to write a scope of service. I'm going to write a contract, and we'll move forward. Got it. Um. So. I'm kind of curious in terms of because uh, you mentioned earlier you help with like site selection too. Like, where do your lines cross with like a, a real estate broker? My lines cross with a lot of people, and that goes beyond just being an architect. Um, and so, I do market myself as a restaurant architect, interior designer, consultant, because there are a lot of things that I do that's a, beyond what typical architects do. Um, I mean, it's the benefit of being a specialist, right? It is. And, and hyper-focused in a local market, too. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I, every time a restaurant opens or closes, you know, I'm, I'm already following it. And, and I'm looking around a lot of spaces, too. And I know a lot of the local brokers and other people, too. So if I have a client that I know what they're looking for, I'll reach out to some brokers and I'll be like, hey, I have a client. They're looking for this. Well, I mean, I'm sure you had clients that, I mean, unfortunately, maybe wanted to get out. So, you know, people, you have friends who might be looking for an exit strategy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so that's where there's a lot of things that, like I said, I've, uh, uh, I'm, I'm an architect by trade, but then, you know, getting into wanting to support the restaurant industry in any way I can, I've just been very focused on learning whatever I can that I know will help them. And so if it's learning more about real estate, if it's learning more about social media, if it's learning more about whatever it may be that that our kitchen equipment is is a big one that I've now have learned a lot about and can do a lot with and laying out kitchens um that typical architects wouldn't but it's just anything that I know my clients need um the more I can understand then the more I can help support them and the more I can help point them in the directions of those specific experts in the field just like you like to point you know people to you're you're a guy who knows a guy so I'm kind of in the same way where you know I know a lot of different people particularly here locally and so i 
I can help a lot of my clients in a lot of initial stuff, get them off the right foot, and then you know get them to that right space. Yeah, this was a conversation. I don't know if you caught the episode 789 with Ken Schwartz, the president of SSA Food Service Design mm-hmm. Consulting. Does that ring a bell to you? Um, I don't remember. Um, the only other architect slash designer yeah. I've had on the show, and he talked a lot about just the understanding of the the mechanics, the, the equipment involved, and knowing what equipment to get, and versus, you know, like when do you buy used, when do you buy new, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and his group is their their kitchen equipment um, vendors and or designers, and they do a lot of big restaurants and beautiful spaces too. Yeah, um, yeah, they they work with Hard Rock Cafe. Yeah, yeah. So um, been around for a while. Um, that was a great episode. If you're interested in today's subject and you want to dive deeper into this world of like architecture and design, I would definitely check out that episode as well. Um, the next thing we have on our list to, to cover today is the right architect for your needs. What do you, need, what do you mean by that? So, so the person that you were just mentioned, they're very focused on kitchen equipment. I don't know if he's specifically the one picking out fabrics and wall coverings and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I think it's understanding your needs first. You know, just like if, you're, if you have to go to a doctor, you know, you're going to do research for first, right? Especially if you, if you need to see a specialist, you're going to do research and, and see what best fits your needs. So if you're opening up a space and you're, if it was already a restaurant, you're just redoing the finishes, then maybe you don't need to hire an architect or even a restaurant architect. It could be any, it could be someone who does design, interior design for, for residential, but they may, if they understand commercial code, but they might be able to do sufficiently what you need them to do, where in other situations you mean you may need someone who's you may need a big company who does, like I said, all the architectural from beginning to end and interior design, MEPs and everything else. So there's a lot of different things. So I think specifically for a restaurant tour, it's understanding kind of what you're looking to do and what your needs are because if you or just taking over an existing space, or if you're starting from scratch and doing an 8,000 square foot, you know, high end place, you're going to want to look around, look at, talk to them, look at their work and understand what they really know. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever heard the book Nudge? No. Is that on your radar? It's a book that has been on my um, audible to listen list for a while now, uh, but it's all about, um, so here's the, it's called nudge improving decisions about health, wealth, and happiness, um, written by, uh, the professor at university of Chicago, but it's all about like little subtle things in design to influence people. Um, I was curious, I, I, cause I haven't read that yet, but it's been on my reading list. I want to get him on the show. Uh, the author of that. Uh, I'll add it onto my list. We'll both read or listen yeah, we'll, to it. Then we'll, and we'll talk. Hey, maybe this will be one of the books we uh, add to our book club within restaurant stoppable network just a little selfish plug right there but this one if you have listened to that book um i'd love to talk about it anyway very cool um all right so can we move on from the right architect for your needs yes okay so the last item we're going to cover today before we start to wrap things up uh the, the the seventh item on our list the architect is the quarterback of the team what do you mean by that so we touched on this a little bit before that we said that there's a general contractor who, from construction on, they oversee the whole project. They hire all the subs. Architect beforehand, we're the ones that are doing the drawings. And as the quarterback, we're the ones that are understanding who we need on our team. 
So mechanical electrical plumbing engineers, if we need an interior designer, if we need civil and um, surveyors, if we need um, acoustical designers, lighting designers, whatever specialists we might need, um, and they all fall under our umbrella. And so we're taking responsibility for them Mm -hmm. where if the owner hired an interior designer on their own, then the interior, then, then they're liable for the interior designer. If anyone that's under the architect's umbrella, that we're liable for them. So we have to make sure that everything they're doing, we're reviewing. And that's why not only do we know architecture, but we learn a little bit about all this other stuff. So we're also the only one that's on the project from day one till the end day. Contractors usually aren't on board until there's a set of drawings. Um, And a lot of other people kind of come and go throughout the project. The architect is the one from, like I said, looking at a space to come up with the initial design, creating the set of drawings through permitting, through construction. We're the one that's there through the whole entire time and leading the charge. How much of the responsibility of permitting do you take on? Do you just have the checklist and you're kind of like making sure the owner is getting those things taken care of or do you take the lead on those things? So... Usually it's a general contractor that applies for a building permit. Okay. Uh, and part of that is because they have to provide their um, their license for construction, but their their insurance, their um, um, workers' comp, they have to provide what trash service they're using, dumpsters and that. So there's a lot of things that's part of the permit process that's specific to, to contractors. So for architects, we're responsible for creating a set of drawings that's going to be all-encompassing of what that work is going to be, making sure it's all code compliant. Obviously, aesthetics, we, have, we, don't, we haven't talked about aesthetics at all. Obviously, that's a big, that is a big part of what architect, architects do. But when we talk about permitting, life safety, and other things, there's no liability in picking the wrong paint color. So that's where, you know, anyway, right. a lot of people can pick paint colors and finishes. And, right. Like, you're writing the, the, you're writing the, the plan, but it's the actual... A contractor who's implementing it. doing it yeah. who's putting their name on this is done to your specs yes yeah and so there's times where a contractor might see that there's something they could do cheaper even though we specified a certain way and so they or could material so they could buy a cheaper material pocket the money mm. and that's where architects are still involved during construction because we're the eyes and the ears for the owner to give that checks and balances to make sure that everything the contractor is doing is following the plan that we had the owner approve. Got it. Got it. Uh, that covers all this item, the seven items on our list. And again, we covered um, scrolling back up to my notes here. What is an architect? What does an architect do? Uh, architects aren't cheap and what to know about, you know, budgeting for an architect. When is an architect required? Never too late to hire an architect, the, the right architect for your needs. And lastly, the architect is the quarterback of your team. Have, is there anything we didn't cover that came out of your mind during this conversation that you think would, you know, have been nice to add to our list? I think an architect is a resource. Um, and going back to, we talked about being people who know people. Um, I tell people that, you know, I don't know everything. No, no one does. Right. But I know where to find the information. And so, um, and I think that's where, again, it's valuable for people to be able to come to architects, talk to us, understand things, not just do things on their own. I have clients who I'm not even working, or I have people who I'm not even working on on a project with them. They'll call me and ask me about how many bathrooms they need for 120 people or how many toilets. And, And I can give them that information. But there's a lot of things that either if I can't answer the question, I know where the answer is, and I can point them in that direction. 
Awesome. Um, so one thing I want to start asking all my guests, mm-hmm. and uh, you're unique because you're an architect. So what is one thing about you, your business, your architect firm, uh, a value, a process, a system that is uncommon that makes you truly unstoppable? I'm part of the community. Mm. I think with a lot of other architecture firms, a lot of other businesses, they're providing a service. Um, but that's all it is for a lot of people. And for me, the community does come first. Everything I do is to serve and support the community. And that's how every client we take on, everything we do, it's looking at it through that lens. I love that. Uh, so our mission statement is to inspire, empower, and change the world through empowering the restaurant industry. So how have you personally transformed during your time as an architect? Who are you today versus the man you were when you got started as an architect? Oh, I'm a very different person. Um, and a lot of it had to come, a lot of it was in when I, the more and more I got into restaurants, the more and more I loved what I did, what I do. I'm at the point now I work 60, 80 hours a week, which regular architects don't do. You know, it's some work long hours when there's deadlines, but I work long hours a lot. But I love what I do. And um, it's it's something that, it, like I said, because it's the restaurants, I love what I do. I love who I work with. I love being able to come into a space like this, Farmer's Daughter. And I don't know if you notice as we're here, I'm kind of looking around because, like, I created the space and people enjoy, you know, meals here. People enjoy family here and friends here and people enjoy working here. And it's all done in this space that came out of my mind. And it's something that um, I just absolutely love, which I never had early on in my career when I was designing medical office and residential, uh, multifamily residential and other things. I never had that passion. That's what continues to grow and push me and drive me and make me want to, learn even more continuously. I love that. And a little teaser, um, we are going to do a walk through the Farmer's Daughter uh, restaurant here, the, their second location in Sudbury, Massachusetts. So I want to do more of while I'm on the road is really taking the time to go deeper and to get that extra content that will be pushed to our YouTube channel. So if you have not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash restaurant stoppable podcast. Please subscribe so you can see this, this content as well. And um, the last question before we officially start to wrap things up, um, if you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow, all the memories of you, your work and your restaurants that you've designed would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? So first and foremost, we've already said, support those that support others. One. Um, let passion drive you. Two. Make people smile. Three. This has been a lot of fun, Justin. Thank you so much. So if we were inspired by today's conversation, I know you're kind of exclusive to the Boston area. You Are you taking on new clients right now? Um, selectively. Selectively. Until I, until I grow my firm larger and we can take on more. Okay. So if we were, you know pleased with what you had to share today and we're interested in working with you what's the best way to connect um email justin at 42 architecture.com my social media uh, on instagram my personal one is justin uh, 42 arch i'm very active on that i do have a company one 42 architecture underscore um 
You can see some of the work I've done there, um, but you, but it's mostly my personal one that I'm pretty active on. Got it. And this is episode 1062. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 1062 for a summary of today's discussion. We'll also have links on how to connect with Justin, his website, his email, his social handles. And before we officially say goodbye, who do you respect and admire in the industry? Somebody that if I got on a show tomorrow to share their story, you'd out, you know, you would absolutely, you would absolutely listen to that episode. Who's that person for you? So, so there is a lot of amazing people in the industry, and that super inspiring. Like I said, and, and seeing the work they do, not only in their restaurant but in the community. One person who, actually, I'll, I'll say two people because they have a lot of parallels, but I'll focus on one. Two of them are Irene Lee from Maymay, um, and um, Tra- 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 Tracy Chang from Pagu. So both of them have restaurants locally. Both of them, both of them have, um, um, they're, they're educated and they in other industries, but then kind of got pulled into or follow their love for restaurants. Um, but both of them have, um, they do amazing things, but they, um, they both sit on multiple, they, they both founded multiple, um, nonprofits and charities, especially during, um, COVID. They both found, I think two of them together and I think I wrote on my notes where they were. Project Restore Us and Off Their Plate were two of them. Uh, they also sit on boards for a lot of other community event, community groups. Um, and it's just amazing to see what they do. Um, Irene Lee has gone on. She's won James Beard after, I think, six or seven times or eight times of being nominated for James Beard Rising Star. She then, two years ago, got the award for leadership because of everything she does for, for the community, for the industry. Um, and, um, and then she's also founded a software company, um, Prep Shift, which, are you aware of that company? Prep Shift? Um, I'm aware of Fusion Prep. Is that the... No. Okay. Nope, not aware of Prep. Prep okay. Shift. What is that? You'll have to ask her. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so Irene and Tracy, look out. I've actually had Tracy on the show. Oh, cool. She was episode 340. Oh, wow. So if you want to check out that episode, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 340. But that was almost uh, six years ago. So maybe it's time that I reconnect with Tracy and get her back on the show. So look out, Tracy and Irene. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And thank you so much, Justin, for taking the time to enlighten us a little bit more around the world of architecture. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And before actually I say goodbye, I almost forgot. I need to get in the habit of saying this. You did say that you'd be willing to do a 30-minute-plus Q&A with us, correct? Whatever I can do to help. So we're going to get Justin live uh, so stick around for the date when he'll be live to answer any questions around architecture that you might have. Now we can say there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Justin Alper, for coming on and going deep into the world of what you should know if you're looking to work with an architect. And this is the kind of stuff I, I hope to create more content like this as I get on the road. I want to talk to these badass restaurateurs. I want to pull back the layers. I want to find out who they're going to. And then I want to follow up and go to those people and do these workshops to, to get the specialist on the show. And we used to do a lot of workshops um, and it got hard when 
I went back to doing on-site in-person interviews and trying to cram 10 interviews into five days. Uh, but now that I'm giving myself to the road, I can really slow down and follow up with these leads and go deeper. And I think this is just a really great example of what is to come here at Restaurant Unstoppable. And if you are hoping to work with an architect and you want to ask some questions, um, maybe you, you know, you're know you not sure if you need an architect yet. Justin has agreed to make himself available. He's going to be live on April 29th at 3 p.m. Eastern to answer all of your architectural questions. So if you have not yet joined Restaurant Unstoppable Network, then that's the place to connect with Justin and all these other people that we're going to be getting live to literally connect this generation's leaders with the next generation of leaders. Uh, That's what we're here to do is to give you, our listeners, access to these leaders. With the podcast, you're getting access to their minds. You're getting access to their stories. But in the network, we're literally inviting these people to join these communities and we're going to host live events where you can literally talk to these people who are leading the way in the industry. So right now, as a matter of fact, we have at least four events. My goal is to get everyone I get on the show to host a live event in the network. Uh, But right now, scheduled, we have Tommy Bigneau. He was the chef owner of uh, Mr. Paul's Supper Club. Uh, He's going to be doing a Q&A. That is going to be on March uh, 11th, we have Johnny Zila, who was the CEO of Condado Tacos. He's going to be doing a Q&A on March 18th at 12 p.m. Eastern. And we have uh, the team, Alan Fratty and Danny Azzarello from Cracked Kitchen and uh I don't know, coffee? Yes. I don't know why I always forget the second half of that. But they're going to be live on March 25th at 1 p.m. Central Time. Um, I don't know why these are all in different time zones. Just join the network. (laughs) You'll see a list of the live events. And uh, if you don't want to join that paid version of the network, we do have the Unstoppable Restaurant Owners and Operators Facebook group, which is absolutely free. That's a great place for you to start if you want to work in the direction of joining our community and being a more part of this mission to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So that's it for today. I just want to say a special thanks to the people who have helped make this show possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi with Sumadre Podcast for your copyright editing and co-producer work. And thank you to Callan Miola, our community manager who is crushing it what she's been doing over at Facebook to relaunch our community. Man, I'm so lucky to have her and Jared in my community or in my in my corner is what I meant to say. But you, honestly, it takes an army, and I'm so, so grateful for the army that's growing here at Restaurant Unstoppable. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.